Hello, vinyl lovers. I'm Antonio Staropoli. And I'm Chris Myers. And you're listening to Taste of Vinyl. You know, in a world full of ugly things, crawling can be beautiful. <laughs> that should get that. Well, just right over my head. Fuck Antonio, right? Doesn't even matter. <laughs> right, welcome. It'll be explained. Welcome, listeners. <laughs> Today, we have an insanely special guest with us. He is an illustrator, graphic designer, songwriter, guitarist for Les Savi Favre, and the 8G band on Late Night with Seth Meyers, and a father of twins. Please welcome Seth Jabor. Very excited to have you on here. Yeah, how are, thanks how for are you? On. Oh, thank you. Yes, thanks for having me on, too. Yeah, I was looking forward to this. Awesome. This we're is st- really cool. We're stoked, man. So, you say you've listened to the show a few times, so you know uh, the first thing that we like to ask is mm-hmm. analog or digital? I'm going to say, uh, is there like a happy medium of both? <laughs> Always. That's an answer. That's Certainly. absolutely an answer, yeah. Uh, for, for, the sake of, for the sake of the podcast, analog. <laughs> um, probably, <laughs> I would say that 99% of all of my favorite records were recorded analog, which is to say that they were probably recorded pre-digital. Sure. You know? Right, right. Um, even some of the stuff that we've done earlier on in Les Avifav that's passed through analog ultimately winds up in a digital, digital format, format. Sure. You know, like a CD, which was very popular in the early aughts. Right. So I will say as a collector of music and as someone who wants to curate music and care about music, the vinyl is where I like to place things that I hold either dear to me or that I think are important or just things that I want to have and hold and look at. CDs are probably in like a Tupperware bin somewhere <laughs> yeah, in my house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, sure. if I haven't like just given them away right. to like a, a record store at one point. And then pure digital MP3 streaming, you know, that's like uh, just a whole other whole other world of like sort of sifting through. Yeah. A lot of basically sifting sifting through everything, but I appreciate it and I use it. I probably use digital more than anything. Yeah, sure. Same here. You know, um, yeah. there's really no right answer. We we won't judge anyone for saying digital over analog. It's really for our own edification. Really, I mean, we're really curious as to how people consume music nowadays, and um, it seems like yeah, of course. Um, the convenience of digital, you know, just makes it ubiquitous. So it's like. It is what it is, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we decided to start a, a whole podcast about vinyl because there's this whole romantic side of, of it and, you know, yes. we, we, we just love it. So Have you guys considered putting out a record of your podcast? You know, what's- actually, uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's funny <laughs> that you mentioned that. I'm sure Antonio is going to say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, s- several episodes ago. We had one of our early guests, uh, Tyler Bisson, who's a lathe cutter in uh, uh, Florida, actually said that it would be really cool to just like take some like fun moments or like key points or interesting points from our show and turn it into a, like a, a seven inch record. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I think it's a great idea. It is. Yeah. It, it's a fantastic idea. I would love to do it. The, we definitely the should. question is... <laughs> Who the fuck would care about that? <laughs> I, there are I probably there are very few people, but I at the same time, like that would honestly be like one of the coolest things. But I almost feel like we should get our music on vinyl before we get our podcast on vinyl. Because then I don't know why. I just feel like I would I would be like, God, man, like I can't even get my music on vinyl before, you know, me just yeah. 
talking for hours. Yeah. I don't know. It would definitely, it would still be a very cool thing to do. And I think that maybe absolutely down the road, absolutely. Um, it's tougher when just two members of the band of six want, vi- uh, want care about vinyl. Actually, well, the, well okay. technically we'll, a third. We'll say three, yeah, yeah. We'll say three. So half the band cares about putting it on vinyl <laughs> and the other half just won't put a dime towards it. Yeah, yeah. But wow. but, but thank, thank you for asking that, uh, Seth. Yeah, That's thank you. very kind of you. But tell us about yourself and, and everything that you do because going back to our introduction, you are a man of many talents and you wear many hats. So uh, please tell us about yourself. Um, okay, how far back should I start? Uh, college? Start. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, wh- whatever, <laughs> wherever you think is relevant, that's yeah. where we'll start. Well, when I was in nursery school, um, <laughs> yeah, I re- perfect. No, <laughs> I think this is going to be relevant. Don't worry, it, it's this no, is no. the long game right now. No, this is great. Um, oh, I thought you were fucking with me. <laughs> no, I'm not fucking with you. No, I, uh, this is great. <laughs> I I have a memory. I don't think it's an implanted memory. I'm I'm pretty sure this is authentic. One of my classmates brought in Kiss trading cards for show and tell. Oh man. And it was like the first time I had seen like rock stars or I guess I probably didn't know really too much about who they were, but I thought that they looked really cool. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, And then first grade, Bridget Birch brought in a copy of Whip It on a seven inch. She had a 45 of Whip It. And I remember listening to that in school. And again, I was just like, this is cool. What is this? This this wasn't like the music that my mom had. um, Don't you guys have Barry Manilow or Anne Murray lying around? Um, You know, this was like something that really kind of spoke to me. So then I think like when I started like buying music on my own it was really like billy joel and brian adams and stuff like that okay kind of early early mid 80s uh music and that was on cassette tape i don't know where i'm going with all this and then eventually i uh went to risd (laughs) in (laughs) 92 and uh that's where les avifav was formed it was an illustration major there after risd uh moved to new york but i mean like i feel like we could get into some specifics between absolutely the inception of lasavi fav and where we are today because it's okay it's a long history you know yeah yeah absolutely so um so you said you you studied graphic design i was an illustration uh, major okay you were an illustration major sorry so yeah is that something that you still do not really when i was probably as young as like middle school i wanted to work for mad magazine which oh cool at the time was still like a really cool magazine yeah yeah and so that's kind of like those were like my really big influences in the art world outside of i don't yeah i wasn't really exposed to too much fine art but I, I loved guys like Mort Drucker. Jack Davis was another one. There was like, I mean, they just had like a whole crew of like really cool artists. I'm going to mess this guy's name up, but Al Jaffe was another one okay. that I really loved. So I kind of thought that that's the path that I was going to take. You know, I was going to go to art school and then work at Mad Magazine or something like that. While I was at art school, I mean, basically, but I started, but I've been playing the guitar since I was in high school and really loved it. Like as soon as I started, like I tried piano lessons as a kid, didn't really stick. I played cornet for a year in school i think i was like had to kind of pick an instrument again that was cornet. something that didn't really stick it's like a smaller version of a trumpet you know it's oh that is so funny because i rarely hear anybody ever talk about that instrument but my father played it when he was younger huh. and i had only ever heard him say it and i'm like that's not a real instrument he's not that you're, yeah, that so you're not I, that's fake this was <laughs> passed on to this was passed down to me f- and i think that it belonged to like one of my grandparents and i think my parents gave it to me because they were like you need to play an instrument and we, this is the instrument we actually have in our house you know <laughs> that's neat. Without, without having to go out and spend any money on an instrument right here you <laughs> right, go I'll just play this thing you know that's i mean believe so me good. if i could carry a piano to school it would have been that absolutely but uh, 
But yeah, so, but anyway, but yeah, like, so, so when I got to RISD, you know, I always played the guitar. It was always sort of just something I always did kind of as a hobby. In high school, I took lessons. I had, I had a really great teacher and I studied with him all through my high school years. And I graduated, he moved to LA, I went up to Rhode Island and that was kind of like the end of any formal lessons that I had. Okay. And then when I started playing in La Savi Fab, this was like 95 and a couple of the guys had kind of like gotten a little band going together and they were looking for another guitar player. And a friend of mine who was in the film and video department with a couple of the guys said, you should ask Seth Jabor if, if um, you know, you should play with him. He's got a lot of same musical tastes. And, you know, I'm trying to think of like a nice way of saying like they thought that I was like a good guitar player or or, you know, certainly good enough to be in a college rock band sure. at that time. And yeah, and that's kind of how that whole thing happened. And that was um, the, the first band that you joined as as a guitar player? Well, no, I was in bands in high school, you know. Like oh, okay. I, I, I started a band with some high school friends when I was like 16. And um, if you know where Obsessions is in Dover, New Jersey, I this have, might be like a little before your time. No, no, no. I, I was there. Okay. I have. I used to go there. The guy who ran the place was a total jerk. Um, yes. <laughs> so you know the place. Yeah. Oh, I am very yeah. familiar with the place. Yeah. I don't think it's open anymore. Uh, but that's so funny. Uh, yeah. So that's where I played my first show. Oh my god, that's Whoa. so funny. Now, I was like in a weird, like kind of hardcore punk band. You know? I was going to oh, cool. say, yeah. We, played, yeah, we played two shows at Obsessions. Um, and the first one was cool. It was great. We rehearsed, and it went off without a hitch. But yeah, like the guy that ran that club, you know, his deal was like he would give you tickets and he was like, you have to sell these tickets. Yeah. And if you sell enough tickets, you can actually get paid. Right. Yeah. But like you hand tickets to like 16-year-olds who are like selling them to a few high school friends that might, <laughs> right. whose parents might want to drive to Dover, New Jersey to see right. their friend's hardcore punk band play. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and then the second time we played, it was a it was like a total train wreck. Um <laughs> Like an embarrassing trainer. Oh no! You know I mean? like I'm pretty, yeah, I'm not going to go into detail, but it, you know, I kind of walked out of it unscathed. But I was like, "Fuck this, man!" You know. <laughs> oh man, was it? Um, was that at a different venue, or was it also Obsession? No, it was. It was back at Obsession. Oh man. Yeah. Uh. And then uh, the following year, I started playing in a hardcore band in New Jersey called No Laughing Matter. And they were already established. I think that I went to um, like a summer arts intensive with one of their, with the other guitar player that was in this band. This was at Rutgers at the time at Mason Gross. They did this thing oh. called Summer Arts Institute. So I went there when I was like 16 and met a lot of kids from, and it was only, it was only available for kids that lived in New Jersey. So you had to be from the garden state in order to attend this school. Uh -huh. But it exposed me to a lot of kids like myself in my state. No one was really in my area because I lived in the country. You know, uh -huh. like a lot of these kids were like from like Essex County or Bergen County or something like that. So they were a little more tightly knit in the suburbs. I was like kind of an outlier out in the country, but um, thankfully not too far from me was where this band was. And I forget how I got playing with them, but I, I started playing with them. And we we actually played a show at the Pipeline in Newark. And that was probably when I was like 17 or 18. And then like kind of shortly after thereafter, uh, the singer and I got booted from the band. Oh, geez. Which I felt bad for the singer because it was his band. You know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, that sucks. I'm going to go to college though in like three months. See ya. So, no, <laughs> yeah, no big one. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm oh, like, man. thank God I applied. Yeah. And so, Absolutely. and so when, when you got to college, you were asked to join Les Savi Fav. Yes. And that was with Sid, your bandmate. Yeah, that was Sid. with Sid. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so, and that's how um, you met him. Well, no, we're, a funny thing is that Sid and I went to school together and I met uh -huh. him. Probably, I bet you I met Sid on my very first day of college. Oh, wow. okay. He was in a different dorm than I was, but his roommate was also a guitar player who was like really classically trained. Like he had like the acrylic 
tips on his fingernails oh, and everything. Yeah. And he had this crazy sound system set up in his in their dorm room where he had like ping pong delay effects going on. So oh. he obviously had like some stere- some stereo effects that were sort of spread out on his side of the room. So somehow I found my way on their floor and I started talking to this guy because he was a guitar player. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, what do you play? And anyway, his roommate was Sid. And uh-huh. Sid ap- appropriately introduced himself as, hey, I'm Sid. I'm from DC. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And he's actually, he started French Kiss, which is yes. the record label that Le Savi Fav is on. That's right. And uh, yeah, we put it, we, our first record we, we released on the Self Starter Foundation, right? which is actually out of Pennsylvania. Oh, interesting. But, you know, Chris Newmeyer ran that. Uh, by the way, you're being Chris Meyer and seeing your name uh, in an email, I was wires running cross left gotcha. and right. Gotcha. I was going to say, do, <laughs> yeah. I look like, do I look like someone you may have met before? But now that makes yeah, it makes sense. It, it, it could have been that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, we, so he put out our first record, which was Three Fifths. Right. Okay. And then also around that time, we put out a seven inch on Sub Pop. Oh, that was cool. our first seven inch. And Sub Pop liked us. And wow. um, you know, Jonathan Poneman was like a fan, which was great. You know, and we, and we liked him and we liked them. But we, you know, for one reason or another, I think that we were all like a little skittish about signing record contracts because we were all trying to pursue these some professional career outside of being in a band right. sure you know cuz it's risky to put all of your eggs in that one basket sure that's sure. smart yeah so we kind of figured well let's see if we can get courted by some different labels that might you know i think we really wanted touch and go and we had dinner with Corey. but anyway none of this stuff really panned out and so finally sid said you know what fuck this i'm going to start a record label yeah so that we can have a home to release our music which is what he did and so the cat and the cobra was the first release on french kiss records um, and it really slowly took off from there, which was kind of fun to be along for the ride. Because Definitely. I think during that, there was a one point when, you know, like I did a lot of the layout for some of his artists. And I think I did most of the layout for La Salve Fav. Tim did most of our artwork. Okay. Oh, I was shit. kind of the guy that would like lay it all out together in templates so that it could go off to print and stuff like that. But yeah, we try to do like everything in-house. I mean, all of our graphics were created amongst the bands. Harrison, our drummer, is a super talented guy. He created album artwork for us, t-shirt designs. Tim has probably done 90% of all of our, you know, any of our graphics is, was probably credited to him. Oh, wow. That's um, really cool. I mean, so yeah. so that, that definitely comes in handy. You have a lot of people in the yeah. band that have all these different talents. Oh, for sure. That's yeah, great. Definitely. Keeps costs down. <laughs> There's always that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now I, I don't want to ask this question, but I have to, and it's a stupid question. But I am just Ooh, I love stupid questions. <laughs> but I'm I'm very <laughs> curious. The name Le Savi Fav. It sounds French. However, it doesn't mean anything in French. Can you give us like no. the origin story of the of the name? Yeah. So basically, we became a band. We had our songs. We didn't have a name. We were getting ready to play a show at Car House, which was like this coffee shop in Providence. And you know, I remember at this time that there were about three names kind of bouncing around. I honestly don't even remember what what else was on the table. <laughs> but but somehow Le Savi Fav was posited. And, uh, you know, Tim and Gib, Gib was our, our original guitar player, okay. our other original guitarist at the time. You know, they were really into this name. I know definitely like our singer, Tim, he liked the name because it didn't mean anything. It just uh-huh. meant whatever our band was. Okay. That's cool. And it didn't elicit any, I mean, it sounded French, which I don't know, maybe we we're being a little pretentious or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, like it's it, like, ooh, like, ooh, la la, listen, we got some French name of a band. But it wasn't, it was just, it was nonsense. It was gibberish, yeah. you know? 
And, you know, I remember like this was during a time in the 90s when when bands were like very, you know, like, I don't know, like, oh, my band's name is like, you know, Knuckleball. And and I don't know, like bands were just named things. And sometimes those things were just one syllable. Uh-huh. Right. You yeah. Know, like, like blank. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, like, so, yeah, I don't know. Somehow we settled on that name and it just felt right. And, uh, and it stuck. Yeah. And, and we never had a conversation in the band where we're like, 25 years from now, people are still going to ask us how to pronounce it and what it means. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I prefaced the question with this yeah. is a stupid question. No, it's question. not a stupid question. It's it's probably the question that we would get asked more than any other question. And I yes. figured as much. So that's why I was just kind of like, oh, this is kind of cringy for me, but I got to ask. So, so I appreciate um, a couple you of, humoring us. Definitely, definitely. I, I, it's my pleasure. Um, a couple of French fans have pointed out that Fav is close to Fav. I don't know if you know, the Favists were uh, an art movement. That means oh, beast. Interesting. The Favists, Favists, I think it's French for beast. And then Savi could be maybe take place of savvy right Ah, some people thought we it meant like the savvy beast right oh interesting okay yes but it doesn't but for the record it doesn't it It just means less obvious if anybody wants to ascribe a meaning to it they they can read they can do like kind of reach a little bit and say that's you know that's what that means (laughs) i love that reach though oh and also we played with the boredoms in 1995 in DC. It was like our first show out of DC. And when we were trying to tell the boredoms the name of our band, one of them came back with Wasabi 5. So I thought that was another... <laughs> wasabi like, 5. Wasabi 5. No. <laughs> Holy shit. That's, yeah. oh, that's, that's great, man. So, but I mean, like fast forward, we're talking 25 years later here, right? Yeah. You you guys are doing this thing. I mean, that kind of longevity, that's like rare for a band, right? Uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, I think it would be even more rare if we were actively touring and sure. releasing material because that would inherently imply that we would all have to be around each other a lot. And, right. you know, <laughs> okay. like bands that do that, like anytime, listen, man, watch like a behind the music or anything, sure. or, of course. you know, jump on a Wikipedia sometime and see what happened to one of your favorite bands from the 80s, 90s, you know, pick an era. <laughs> yeah. um, it's always, it always kind of boils down to this point where like, I was even reading about Credence, you know, where like these, the two brothers just eventually like, they just fought so much about money and bullshit. Oh, and like, man. that was the end of things, Yeah, you know? So again, like, thankfully we were able to sort of dodge a lot of those pitfalls because we didn't try to make Lasavifav our main source of income, but more right. specifically though, I think like our main source of identity. Okay. And really the principle was simple. Like if we have fun doing it and we really love what we're doing, let's continue to do it. Sure. You know, the minute that it starts to feel like, like it's work. a drag and it's getting in the way of, of our lives, of our wives, of our kids, of our families, anything like that, then we would have to pump the brakes on it, you know? So uh, I think like the last big tour we did was probably 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But then like, but you know, like we have, like currently we're slated to play Primavera in 2022. Oh, cool. For their beginning. The lineup on that thing is just ridiculous. Sweet. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's basically like, I don't know, just take every band that you like and then put them into one festival. Oh, man. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. So it's really ambitious and I hope it, I hope it comes together because it was supposed to happen last year. Sure. Then it was going to be postponed to this summer. Now I'm pretty sure it's 2022. But we're also playing the Riot Fest in Chicago. I thought this summer, but I think that may also be postponed. But don't quote me on that. Okay. So, but so so. But anyway, long story short, like we come out of hiding once in a while <laughs> to come together and 
and play these shows, you know? It's almost like you guys have like this unspoken thing where you take these unofficial hiatuses and whenever it seems right, you guys just start putting stuff together and doing your thing. Yes. Well, that's, that's, um, that's, it's smart. It, I was going to say, that's a very uh, kind of level headed and intelligent way of kind of preserving the relationship between people within a band. Because, like you said, it can get really touchy when you're around people for so long, writing and touring. And, you know, it definitely is like the downfall of a lot of bands. Uh, yes. It's like being in a relationship. When you're in a band, you're in a relationship with four other people, five other, however many mm-hmm. people are in the band. And, you know, there's always that it seems to be personalities clash and, you know, things tend to go downhill pretty quickly when that happens, man. And we, yeah. we can, we know we can speak to that. So, um, Absolutely. definitely a very, yeah. uh, very smart way of going about it. Yeah. You definitely find a lot of bands who feel like they need to go, it's all in or nothing. And then they don't really have anything to fall back on when it might, you know, not turn out the way they thought it would. So I think by making the band, like you said, like it's just a fun thing to do. And if something comes out of it, that's great. But then you have your your professional careers to, to keep you guys going. Yeah, like every one of us has a professional career. I think the uh, it's like this concept of just sort of casually being in a band, yes. but then taking taking that casual bandness seriously. You know, yeah, like when yeah. it came time for us to like write music and put on a show, uh, yeah. I mean, like we want all the songs to be as good as they could possibly be. Yeah. Obviously, that's subjective, but you know, sure. at the time that we were coming up with this stuff, nobody was thinking. That's probably good enough, you know. <laughs> right. And then when it came to putting <laughs> right. on a live show, performing live was the thing that we were most known for. And I, I would feel I feel like those shows, you know, they were so polarizing, especially for me. I mean, there were nights when I would come off a stage and be like, like, oh my God, that was just I felt like I was on ecstasy. That was so much fun. Yeah. And then there were nights when I come off stage and I'd be like, what a fucking what a terrible show. It was dog shit. Nothing was clicking, you know? And then uh, you talk to an audience member and their perspective was, oh my God, that, that was, was great. great. I loved it. What? <laughs> I wouldn't like, were we at the same thing? Ah, <laughs> dude, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. It's so crazy how that can happen. I've come off the stage myself like, oh my God, what the fuck was that? Like, Jesus. And then people coming up to you just saying like, dude, that was sick. And you're like, you can't say like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. You just, oh, thank you. You know, like, um, so and I can definitely Antonio, relate. I was gonna say you've said it before. We're our own worst critics. Oh, like, yeah, for you know, for and real, like because you know, you personally know when you messed up or if something sure. didn't feel right or if something's wrong. Yes, but yeah, you've done your job well. If well enough comes up to you and say, <laughs> or well enough if someone comes up and yeah. says you did a great job or. You know, like that, that was, was great. Awesome. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. That was fucking awful. Uh, <laughs> um, so I was going to ask, you know, since we're kind of on the topic of live shows, like, can you tell us, and you said that the last time that you guys actually toured was 2011. Uh, so you may have to dig deep, but, uh, you know, can you tell us about, you know, what life on the road is like? Yeah, it was great. Um, no, I don't know. It was great. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It was fine. You know, it was like, I got to say, I'm glad that we eventually were touring during a time of like laptops and, and then eventually iPads. Uh-huh. Sure. Having DVDs to watch in the back of a van was a good idea. Yeah. Like last tour we did, I was on my iPad. Actually, no, from 2002 on, I was kind of always on my either an iPad or a laptop playing around inside of Logic or some other, you know, DAW. I had a couple of like synth-based apps oh, on sweet. my iPad that I got like really into. And, you know, Tim and I would always kind of be back there with our headphones on 
like working on beats. Tim had an OP one that he would bring on tour, um, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it was fun, but you know, there's so much downtime. And know, you feel anyway. that, it sounds like you fill that downtime a lot with, I guess, just being productive musically. As, as you much, have your, yeah, as much as you can yeah, be. Yeah. Only, only, only for no other reason than because it's like, it kind of keeps you, I don't want to be dramatic and say sane because it was not that, but it just, it staves off boredom in a really big sure. way, you know? I mean, there are parts of the country that I like to look at, and then there are other parts of the country where I'm like, I'm going to stare at my iPod, or I mean, my my <laughs> iPad for the next three hours and <laughs> make drum beats. And zone out. <laughs> and zone out, yeah. Yes. Oh, man. So so needless to say, it doesn't. I'm not getting the vibe of like, Le Savi Fav isn't the type of band to do shots in the back after a show and pass out and vomit on each other and that type of thing that that typical rock star nothing nothing too hedonistic we're definitely like like, yeah no we're like we'd love to do shots after the show before the show (laughs) okay okay you know what i mean Um, within reason within reason though like you (laughs) know we don't do drugs um oh no kidding like we didn't not let let me let me state that like we weren't into hard drugs okay yeah because pot's Um, fucking pot right like yeah but even that i'm like god it was it was a drag trying to do that kind of job stoned or anything stoned yeah yeah oh man no i hear you like 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 drinking was you know it's a great social lubricant and definitely kind of helps you feel a little uninhibited obviously i'm not stating anything groundbreaking here um (laughs) but yeah but we kind of just yeah we weren't a party band we weren't like a I don't know. It just wasn't really our scene. That's fair. I mean, that's that's the power totally to you if fair. it is, man. <laughs> uh, no, well, yeah. I mean, I can't speak for anyone else besides like Antonio and myself. I mean, Antonio, I know doesn't drink at all. I drink here and there, but I mean, like for everybody else in the band, I mean, like you know, I'm not going to speak for them. But <laughs> yeah, so there is, you know, what I'm thinking about that one time where you I, got really shit faced before a show. I was so oh, mad well, at you, dude. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I ever did that again. I don't think you well, did I, either. But I don't think I don't think that would be a problem in Le Savi Fav either. No, nobody's getting shit faced oh, no, 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 before no, no. a show. No, this, believe me, there were there was a show that we played in Atlanta. I remember this one really specifically because Harrison and I both got pretty drunk. Oh, no. And you know when the drummer gets drunk. Oh, that's it. Forget it, it man. All bets oh, are off. Lord. When, you, when your guitar player gets drunk, I don't know, man. Turn him down in the mix. You know what I mean? Right. But when a drummer <laughs> right, messes, at least you have a little when bit. A drummer messes yeah. up. That's yeah, it. That's, like the person that's that you're, the, you're basically taking all of your cues from. I was gonna say yes. that's the driving force. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was like, and like you know, we were we we're, we're good natured about these things, but it was like afterwards we were both very apologetic. Like, oh man, I'm so fucking sorry. <laughs> and I just totally dogged that show. <laughs> hey, man. You know, shit happens. It does, you know. Like I said, man, you got to stave off boredom somehow. It's true. You know? There you go. That would be the reason why I did all those Jaeger bombs. Oh, I, mean, I was. I felt very bored while we were waiting. We to were play. We, we were waiting forever <laughs> for that yeah. show. I remember it was really. I was just like, dude, are they going to let us until like one and one thirty in the morning? Yeah, dude, like it was crazy. Yeah, that's tough, man. It was yeah. crazy how so, late we went on, and you were definitely. Because you know what it is at one thirty in the morning. It, it like you either kind of have to like change your frequency a little bit to get into that. Yeah mode yeah yeah or you just go to sleep and then have somebody wake you up because correct. that's for me i mean 1 30 in the morning there's only two ways i'm functioning yeah correct yeah you know well, i'm either having a good time or i'm fast asleep yes. right well <laughs> that's yeah. a good point I, I was drunk and falling asleep <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> on stage <laughs> on stage yeah <laughs> holy shit man what in, what instruments do you guys play oh yeah um so chris is uh, the vocalist I, I sing yeah and i'm the drummer okay. oh you're the drummer you're the singer yep Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, very good then. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, so if so, I fuck up, <laughs> the whole band fucks up. Yeah. No pressure though. <laughs> Which is well, thank God you're the sober one. Right. That's well, right. Yeah. Yes. I'm the sober one with anxiety and stage fright that, you know, has a fucking breakdown before every show. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chris can be um what's his name? Scott Scott Stapp or something, the guy oh, from man. What about, I was just gonna say what, 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 yeah, what about exactly. Well yeah, he had I just you know well, he had a psychotic. Yeah, just kind of a note of did he oh I'm so sorry then I didn't realize that. But I know that he was a he was a drinker during oh the, was he okay yeah yeah i was gonna say it's yeah. so funny yeah. that you I, bring him up because we talked <laughs> we spoke about creed on an episode where we had our significant others on that they hosted and interviewed us and one of the questions was like what record are you like embarrassed of and i said well i don't own one yet but i think i'm gonna have i'm gonna have to buy a creed record because i'm actually a fan <laughs> Yeah. And my fiance was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? I've never heard you say that. She was so shocked. Oh, shit, man. She gave you the ring back. And she definitely, yeah. 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 <laughs> and she's like, I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> so, but anyway, <laughs> I wanted to get into the 8G band, which is the house band that plays for Late Night with Seth Meyers, which how fucking cool is that? That you uh, you play in a house band for a late night show. And with some really cool people. So Sid is in that band. So your bandmate yeah. in Le Savi Fav is also in the 8G band. And so is Fred Armisen, Marnie Stern, and Eli Janney. So that's really right. cool. I mean- You nailed I, it. I just, I, I cannot imagine really what, I just can't imagine being in a, in a band like that and- performing for you know people on a nightly basis unfortunately now i it's it hasn't ha been happening right well we, we work remotely now so we submit all of our music from our homes oh cool yeah oh that's so that's um, fantastic yeah yeah do you know if if they've said like you know when you guys might all start getting back into i want to say the studio like yeah, it, until uh, they have a studio audience CBS I, don't even, or, I don't think that's yeah gonna, nothing official yet yeah okay I mean, I wasn't sure. I just thought, yeah. But can you asking. just can you just give us like a little bit of a peek into you know that world because we've never interviewed anybody. We've interviewed many musicians, and you know we've we've talked about a lot of stuff. But this seems just like a whole new territory, and I'm just super fascinated with it. And, and I'm just like, how did it happen? Like, how did you guys end up being the house band for this late night show? So it really happened because of Fred Armisen. Okay. Um, each one of us in the band has some relationship with Fred prior to the HE band. Okay. When he was in Trenchmouth, he toured with Girls Against Boys. So Eli's known Fred since, you know, I don't know, the 90s, oh, sometime wow. in the 90s. Oh, wow. Sid and, yeah. e Sid and Eli both grew up in DC. And so they've known each other since they were probably in high school, or at least since Sid was in high school. I mean, they do have some, there's a difference in their age, but it's not a very great one and certainly not one that wouldn't put them at the same shows and venues at the same time. Sure. So I think that they were around for a lot of the same things. I've known Eli since, I guess, 1996 when La Savifav opened up for Girls Against Boys when they were promoting Freeganica at that time. Cool. And I didn't really get to know Marnie until, you know, working with the HE band. But Sid has known knew Marnie since his 20s. So, you know, in some weird way, like we've all sort of, we've known each other for 20 some odd years wow. or more. Okay. Very you know? organic, it sounds like. Yeah, it was. And, you know, when Seth was asked to host the, you know, late night, he basically asked Fred right. if he would want to 
wanted to be the uh, music director. Yeah. So Fred's philosophy was, okay, I'll do it, but I want to be able to put together like a band. I don't want to make like a jazzy, splashy, late night sounding band. Right, I want right. to make like a rock band, like find like people that are into the same kind of musical tastes that I'm into. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he, that's why each one of us was kind of chosen. Handpicked. Um, handpicked, you know, just for like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was really organic. And it was weird too, because it started out, I remember like we had to learn a, a handful of covers because that's all we really had time to do. Sure. Like we wrote a few, we had a few originals, but we were playing like XTC covers and, and The Damned, you know, like on late oh, night. Oh, interesting. Like, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be right back. <laughs> that's so and we'll cool. go out with, you know. Um, you know. Fuck you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but, uh, yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that, that's the genesis of the band, you know? And then from there, it basically really began to blossom into whatever it is now, you know, it's that's um, very cool, man. I love yeah. that. That's so cool. And, uh, it's just like so weird before we even knew that you were going to be a guest on the show. I had been starting to watch Portlandia for like the fourth time because okay, I'm so a huge, like I'm just a huge Portlandia fan, and yeah, uh, so and good. I and I really think that Fred Armisen is like a like a comedic genius, genius. So then learning that you were coming on and and that you know he was connected, it just it just seemed all very cool, and I was like, oh wow, that's like really neat because I'm I'm watching the show again, and it just feels cosmically kind of connected in some weird way. Yeah, very cool. You know, I apologize for gushing there a little bit. I don't I don't want to uh, geek out too much about uh the HG band and and Fred <laughs> and everything. But uh do either bands Lay Savi Fav and the HG band, I mean, does playing in one band ever get kind of like in the way of another or your regular work? No, not at all because like I said, if Le Savi Fav was active and if we were touring, you know, extensively, sure, sure. that would obviously impact my ability to do my job on late night. Right. Now Fred has a lot of different gigs going on, so we have guest drummers that sit in from time to time. Okay. Um, yes. You know, so less so during the pandemic. During the pandemic, Fred's been able to like really supply a lot of material for us to play with. Oh, that's great. It's been awesome. Yeah. And he's been coming up with some new stuff. Like he just started discovering some really weird pad sounds in Logic. <laughs> oh, Ooh. sweet. You know, so play like on these, like, I love this stuff. I listen to it. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is music for late night TV. It's really, really <laughs> neat. You know? That's fantastic. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, like we've all covered our respective bands on the show. Like we've played Girls Against Boys songs oh. before we've We've played some of Marty Stern songs. Marty That's songs neat. are very challenging, so <laughs> you know. So those those so don't happen as player often player. as the others. Oh, I believe it. No, like we each like we're just one day we're we were like each one of us should be able to like let's like you know like we did I think we played a Lissapi Fav song one day and the next day we did one of Marnie's songs and the next day we did a Girls Against Boys song. So we find ways to like bring in our history into you know what we do without yeah. being too like overt about it. I think that's you know really I mean? cool that, you yeah. know, Fred was able to get that kind of creative control to be able to have you guys play all those songs and pretty much kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like we do them in a very instrumental way too, sure. almost like the philosophy behind Muzak, you know, you kind of burnish the edges a little bit. Yes. So and, it fits. And yeah. Just so that it's a, like a little more palpable for Absolutely. the yeah. kind of audience that we're playing it for. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. But um, we've had an opportunity to do a lot of really fun stuff like that. Like anytime somebody in the music community has passed away. Mm. we'll try to find a, an opportunity to use like one of their songs for a commercial break. And sometimes that's going to be like a Husker Du song. 
You know Ooh, what I mean? Oh, it's, wow. it's not always like the David Bowies and the princes. There's also like people in the community that we kind of feel a little bit closer to. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's neat. You know, it's, it's, it's a really great opportunity. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's something that's else, awesome. man. Getting back to Le Savi Fav, how many of those albums have actually been pressed for vinyl? Oh, all of them. They have all they been have. pressed. In fact, if you discover Inches, uh-huh. which you'll find on Spotify, uh-huh. that is a collection of seven inches that we did, uh-huh. hence the title Inches. <laughs> so inches, inches was never pressed onto vinyl. Rather, it was pressed onto nine pieces of vinyl. Oh, interesting. And if you ever remember like Wacky Packs... Yes. You know, like trading cards where like on the back would be a piece to a puzzle and then you had to get them all together yeah, and tie yeah. it up okay, and you get a big yeah, picture. Yeah. So the artwork you see on the CD of inches is the bigger picture of if you were if you have all nine seven inches and you lay them out on your floor, it creates that big piece no of artwork. Way. That's yeah, really that's cool. And this was this is one of Tim's you Brain. know brainchilds <laughs> from like nineteen ninety-five. Wow. I'm like who the fuck does that? Oh who wow. says like, oh, let's release one seven inch between 1995 and 2004. He thought that far ahead. <laughs> yeah, he was, was just brilliant. like, this, is, this would be a really cool project. Then we just started finding different labels. It wasn't like terribly hard because seven inches are, you know, it's not like a great big commitment. You know? Sure. So, but eventually we found, we, we were, yes, we compiled all nine. And, and like I said, this was over the span of many, many years. So our very first seven inch, which was the one that was on Sub Pop, that was probably some of the first music that we ever recorded. You know what I mean? Certainly the first piece of music we ever recorded and committed to vinyl. All the way up until 2004, I think, was when, when we were kind of done with the whole project. Right. And in which by that time, we were really, really purely in a digital environment. You know, when we were pressing to vinyl at the time for the sake of the project, but like the band had just progressed in its songwriting and everything. It's one of my favorite things that we've ever done because when I go back and listen to it and I hear something like Blackouts or Rodeo, like just a song that we, it's just so scrappy. We're so young. <laughs> And then all the way up to Meet Me in the Dollar Bin. And then Tim had this great idea of releasing it in backwards sequential order. So the first song was the most current song. And as you listen to it, it basically degrades. It goes further and further back into our history. So the last song on Inches is the first thing we recorded and not the other way around where, you know. Let me see if I understand this. So you have this idea. (laughs) We're going to release this music throughout the span of however many years but we're going nine years right so but we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're not we're not gonna do this chronologically right we're gonna do this we're gonna record this stuff and then we're gonna release it backwards from the most recent back right that is that is one of the coolest fucking things i've ever heard you know i I remember at the time i i I was like why why would you do that you know like look at the look at hot rocks by rolling stones or you you know like most greatest most compilations of, of, of greatest hits, not that ours was a greatest hit. Right. No, I, I get no, what you're no, saying, no. though. But anyway, yes, chronologically speaking, most people would put some of the, you know, you'd open your record with your earlier work. And sure. then as you listen through it, you finally make your way up to whatever was current for that time. Right. Because you essentially, I mean? you're sitting on this material for yeah. many years, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, it that's, was out there in seven inch. Like it was always available. You can buy it on as a seven inch. But like I said, uh-huh. like the sub pop one. Oh, okay. Um, and the one that we did afterwards was on, oh God, I can't remember the, the name of the label, but you know, I, I would say at this point for, for a few of them, you know, they were probably like a little tougher to come by. Certainly probably by the end of the project, there were some of the earlier ones that were hard to find, right? Because sure. we just didn't press a whole lot of them. That's, that's just, I, I, you know, and I was going to ask you if you guys had any like cool color variants. Fuck that, man. This is like, <laughs> this is super cool, dude. That's like, 
That's just like a really neat thing, man. It's def- yeah. definitely very yeah. um, out of the box. And you do you have do you have this in your personal collection? Yeah. So I have I do I have the complete set. I have like duplicates of some of them. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. You know, cool. but like so, like the sub hop one. Like I only have one of those. There's like a few in my collection that I only have one of. Okay. Um. Yeah, but I like I I dig it. You know, like occasionally I'll go like poke around on on eBay or something to see if people have the a full collection and some people do and they'll they'll put it up there. See, my next question was going to be, and you basically just answered <laughs> it because if it's on eBay, <laughs> then that means it's not on your that website. Means, yeah. So so <laughs> so I guess I'm guessing that we we wouldn't be able to purchase at least that the set on the website. Um but uh, yeah, definitely. Are not. there any other records that any anyone can go on and 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 just purchase outright on like your merch? So store? I would say yeah. Like if, I mean, if we're talking strictly vinyl, um, we just re-released uh, "Root for Ruin." Okay. So we repressed it onto like safety orange vinyl. Sweet. And I'm trying to remember if we did anything special for the packaging because it was a gatefold originally. Okay. I'm not sure if I'm not. I know if we repress it as a gatefold or not. But that one we're just we just redid on vinyl. Um, Let's stay friends. You could probably still get on vinyl. I think Wichita also released it in the UK on vinyl. So oh. there are probably a couple of different variations of that on vinyl. You might find Go Forth on vinyl. The interesting thing about Go Forth, this is I, I really love that record because we worked with Phil Eck on that record. Do you know? Are you familiar with any of his work? He's a I, Seattle producer. He did like most recently probably like Fleet Foxes. Oh, was one of oh okay. He did, but I think maybe Shins, Modest Mouths. Oh, okay. Um, He's worked on like a lot of really, really amazing indie rock records from from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Sure. Yeah, like so we were really fortunate to work with him on uh, Go Forth. And he did that whole thing um, strictly analog. Wow. You know, he nice. wasn't a Pro Tools guy at that time. So we did it all to tape. And I think that there was like one instance where we had to do some editing via Pro Tools. And he asked like the engineer to do it because he wasn't even versed in the in the software. You know, he was like, like, oh, can you do this thing? I don't know what the fuck it is. That's with a computer. Um, That's fantastic. But we, but we recorded that record to two-inch tape, and then that one came out in the UK on Southern UK. And John Loder personally mastered it onto vinyl in the UK. That's sick, so dude. I've always found that, like, when I listen to the CD of that record, I'm always just like, God, it's like, there's something like a little harsh about Interesting. it. Interesting. I don't know what it is. It, there was something about it that I, that I struggled with. But then when you listen to the vinyl of it, it's, that's how it was meant, meant to, to be. be that was how it was recorded. To. That's how it was mastered. That's how it's meant to be wow. heard. So it was kind of neat. It was like probably the only thing that we did that was a real, you know, sort of from beginning to end analog um, you know a strictly analog undertaking that's really cool yeah it was good it was cool i was actually going to ask you and you already answered it but i was going to ask you what was your favorite record or album to record uh but you at least answered that you that go forth is like your favorite record of yours well my favorite record is probably let's stay friends okay yeah i like that one a lot that one like we took a long hiatus after inches came out we kind of just were like we're done and um you know we didn't do anything for like three years and then one day I was up I was up at Shelter Island with Sid, one of the guys I worked at French Kiss was there with his girlfriend. This is Steve, and he goes, He's like, Why don't you guys make another record? I'm like, I don't know. And then Sid and I were like, Why don't we make another record? And we just kind of <laughs> like, maybe we should make another record. And we did. Wow. And that was Let's Stay Friends. And it came together in the most crazy ass way because Harrison was living in North Carolina at this time. Okay. You know, and he was like fully invested in living in North Carolina. So we kind of like patched this thing together sure. with pieces. 
you know? And then when we started coming together in the studio with it, it was also, you know, like Fred played on a couple of the songs. Oh, um, cool. That's cool. You know, uh, John Schmerzel and Toko from Enon played on it. I think Matt Schultz played drums on one of the songs. So we kind of just started tapping a lot of our friends and being like, hey, can you come into the studio and like play a horn? Can you come in and there's this background vocal part that none of us can sing, but I think your falsetto would be perfect for it. Can you do it? And it sort of fit with the theme of this record of Let's Stay Friends. Of course, it being a collection of like a lot of our friends just sort of coming in to help us That's neat. make this record and complete it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. That's cool. And it wasn't even very premeditated. I mean, it was so accidental. We just, we showed up with sketches of what we wanted to do. And just through necessity, we had to kind of rely on, on these other things that make it happen. That's yeah. my understanding of it. I'm sure, I'm sure that, that there are other members of the band that probably had ideas, really bigger ideas like, oh no, I really want such and such to do this thing on this song or something like that. But yeah, it kind of, it came together in like a really strange way, but also in a very organic way. I was, I was really pleased with the way that one came out. Cool. Very cool. It makes sense that that that's your favorite record that you guys released, being that you know you tapped all your friends to be on it. It was also the first re- record that we recorded with our other guitar player Andrew Royland, who oh. had who was who has been a friend of ours since RISD. Okay. <laughs> so, oh wow. You know, just to kind of tie it all back in again, like you know, <laughs> he's someone that we've all known for twenty something years, and you know, like when we were a four piece. Uh, deciding that like, hey, it might be great to add another guitar player back into the mix again. We asked him to do it. He was in a really, really cool band back in college. They have like some seven inches out there, but really great stuff. You can find their MP3s like if you if you dig around the internet. So, okay. So now we, we know which one of your records um, is your favorite. What about, you know, let's dig into your collection, your personal vinyl collection. What would you say is your favorite record from your vinyl collection? Do you have like one that's a standout? There's like a few kind of desert island records that I think about. Abbey Road okay. is one of my favorite records. Even the remastered stuff that that came out in the, like the last year or so. But that that specifically for me, like that is like the one piece of vinyl, you know, not just like a record like, oh, I like it on MP3. No, I really love listening to that one on vinyl, you know, on the platter. And I think it's perfect. I think it's like just one of those, I don't know, it sounds corny or something, but like it's one of those records every time I listen to it, I'm like, it's flawless. There's nothing that you would, you can't, you don't listen to it and think, God damn, it's a little, boy, I wish the drums were mixed differently. <laughs> you know, it's in every time I hear it, there's always some detail it comes that I'm through. like, Oh, I never really noticed that before. <laughs> That's so weird. Oh, there's an LFO on that Moog. Cool. You know, that's it, it's just so rich with ideas and, and it's so well conceived. And the B side is just one long running theme. You know what I mean? Right. Not to mention is I feel like the whole thing is really just the story of the implosion of arguably the greatest rock band or pop band, whatever you want to call yeah, them, sure. of all time. I mean, I feel like there's so many messages in there towards that were intended for each other to hear to say like, whether it's an apology, whether it's it's an accusation, it's just something. It's like I find that record to be really, really fascinating, and 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 I've always really liked it. So that's probably like one of my favorites, you know. And then from there, I don't know. Kind of, it kind of really opens up. It's 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 so tough. I, I it, this is like one of those questions <laughs> where how how is anybody supposed to answer that? You know, it's not we, an easy question yeah. <laughs> to answer for sure. We were yeah, we were gonna ask like if you had five albums to take with you, you know, what would they be? And uh, oh sure, I got I got okay. So five um, five is five. I say we got Abbey Road, right? Automatic Midnight by the Hot Snakes. Okay, do you know that one? Uh, no, I actually don't, but I oh. I've heard of it. So good. What else? Um, I've always really liked, there's a band from Providence in the 90s called The Hydrogen Terrors, and their first record 
was called The Erotic Adventures of the Hydrogen Terrors. And again, it's like, it's sort of been like on my desert island list for a while. And it's one of those records where like I put it on my turntable every now and again, and I'm reminded again of just how fucking cool it is. And um, it holds up quite well. Sweet. So we have those three. Then I think I'm going to say This Nation Saving Grace by the Fall, which Antonio, I think maybe, or Chris, I don't remember if somebody was, we, we kind of talked about that a little bit via yes. email. Yes. Um, but that's just like another one of those records where like I, I never tire of listening to it, you know? Sure. Um, man. And then for like my fifth record, boy, it's like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to settle on those four. I think that those are like, that's like a okay. pretty good. F- a good four. I'm going to think a little bit in the back of my mind about like what like that fifth record would be. Yeah, okay. we can you always know. come back yeah, around we'll to that one. Yeah, we can come back to that. Yeah. That's, that's I'm cool. definitely going to write those albums down though. I, I definitely want to listen to those. Yeah, I mean, you know, good luck finding the Hydrogen Terrors. Uh, maybe <laughs> I on know I won't find it on vinyl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, maybe yeah. on Discogs oh, might, for you never know. $3,000 now. Oh, oh yeah, there yeah, you exactly. go. Honestly, if I could, if I could do it Discogs, let me just say this. Uh, Bonsai Superstar by Brainiac would be my fifth rap record. Okay, and I, but I but I but I'm going to go on the record and say that I do not own this record. Okay, okay, okay I had that's okay. I, I owned the CD in the '90s, and I've since probably lost it. I looked on Discogs yesterday. It, the CD is selling for 75 bucks. Just the CD, wow. <laughs> Just the CD. The vinyl is selling for like 125 euros. You it's know, crazy. It's, oh, wow. isn't yeah, that yeah. nuts, man? It's like a, it's so insanely expensive. And, you know, I know that like they're doing this, they're going to do like this double album release for Brainiac um, of like some of the basement tapes and like other things that they did. Rough Trade's putting out, it's definitely like on my radar. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping that maybe that will inspire them to re-release something like Bonsai Superstar. You know, Eli Janney recorded Bonsai Superstar, the keyboardists uh, in- In the um, HE band? In the HE band, yeah. So he wow, made those records, Bonsai cool. Superstar and Hissing Prigs. And I mean- I would say Bonsai Superstar, easily another one of those kind of records where every time I listen to it, I'm like, it's as fresh as it was the very first time I heard it, you know? That's cool. Yeah. Really good ideas on that record. Crazy good ideas. Fantastic. And now- That's good. That's, a, that's, my, that's my five. That's a good five. Good. Okay. So, so we have okay, five cool. records very that cool. we need to locate and listen to. Well, at least four. four. I mean, like I will say, I right. mean, Abbey Road. Well, yeah, sure. Abbey like, Road. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> Abbey Road is a no brainer. I mean, like yeah. even people, I feel like even people who might not like the Beatles would probably say that the Beatles, if, if you appreciate music- would say that the Beatles are just a phenomenal band, even if you don't like them. There's no right. way around, you know. You can't. You say you that can the you can say that they're an overrated band and all this stuff, but you know what? At the end of the day, there says that people yeah. people do say it, man. I have heard people say oh. that they are an overrated band, but at the end of the day, man, there yeah. is no denying the fact that they they are arguably the most influential band. In the last however long say, they've been yeah. around, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean. I saw your frustration, Seth. I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard people say that too. I've heard I'm people so say, I'm "Like I've heard people say that they're overrated too." And it's I'm, like, not me. Let me make this clear. Not me. No, 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 I'm not no, saying no, that they're overrated. <laughs> neither oh, one I mean, of us. Yeah. No, neither no, of one of us have said this band is overrated. You know what is all. I? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like that kind of contrarianism it, it just like it bothers me like you That's don't have to you don't have to like their music but find me you, another band that has sort of impacted music like that you know what i mean That's right. yeah and if you i know have that, listen, it's, it's all subjective right so it, 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 is. it is it is but at the same time i think you're right i think the people that are are saying things like that are just 
more more than likely you'll find that it doesn't just come down to music with them, but they probably just have that kind of personality, that kind of contrarian personality. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, if you have the appreciation for music, whether you like the Beatles or not, you can say the Beatles are a good band. Like you can appreciate you know the is? music. Yes, like and and also I can really appreciate someone's opinion of just flat out not liking it. Sure, you know I can. Sure. I, I, but to and, say they're overrated is they've already passed that test. They've already withstood that <laughs> test. Exactly. Time. Look at that. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, their music's gonna be played forever. <laughs> I mean, we're going against canon at this point. You know? That's yeah. right. Yeah, and in turn, next, next, next thing you know, Darth Vader's not Luke Skywalker's father. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when does it end? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like uh, in the fiftieth anniversary, they'll they'll change that around. They'll be like, well, yeah. actually, he wasn't. Yeah, that's. Great. But uh, in. In turn, then you, if you say the Beatles are overrated, then you're also saying to me, since the biggest influences for them, you're also saying that like Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry and like Little Richard and like Fats Domino are overrated. And those are like the influences for the Beatles. Sure. And probably like the underrated, you know? That's Absolutely. right. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. They didn't really come their the notoriety break, they deserve. The notoriety until the Beatles yeah. said that those were their influences. Yeah. Yeah, which so. isn't to say that which isn't to say that they owe their notoriety to the Beatles. I think you know. I know like sure, right, right. Um, I think it was was it Muddy Waters or Lead Belly that that um, uh, Keith Richards was like a really big fan M- of Muddy Water. Yeah, Muddy was Waters. it Muddy Waters, right? Yeah, you know, and and like he really kind of like brought him out and was just like, no, this is the dude. This is the reason why I do what I do yeah, and why right. I love doing what I do. I thought it was really great. You know how he really tried to accredit him as much as possible. Sure, you absolutely. know, despite the fact that. I'm sure at the time when Muddy Waters was getting paid for his contribution to music, it was like next to nothing. Right. You know? right. But the good news is that we all have it now and we can appreciate it and listen to it and experience it the same way one of the musical greats like Keith Richards did. And exactly. say, oh yeah, I, I totally understand what you saw in all of this. Exactly. You know? Very good. Thank you very much, Seth, for answering those questions. Um, Definitely. This was fun. And, and expanding our listeners' minds and their musical palettes. So that will bring us to our very favorite segment of the show. Actually, no, our favorite segment of the show is talking to our guests. <laughs> so, our second favorite our segment. Our second favorite segment of the show, <laughs> On the Platter. Oh, God, it's so good. Mmm, so good and tasty. Okay, so today we are talking about Surfer Rosa by Pixies, which was released back in 1988, which blows my fucking mind. Now, how, where were you guys in 88? I was- I was- Were you born? I was born in 1983, so I was okay. five years old. I was 84, so I was four. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I will say this. I wasn't too familiar with this record prior to- to setting up this episode with you, Seth. Really? And I, I knew some of the tracks, uh, not to say uh-huh. I hadn't heard anything off of it, but so I have heard the stuff, but I wasn't familiar with the record. And you have to excuse me because um, I feel like I just was never really exposed to a lot growing up. And, you know, anything that kind of is, and I'm learning this through the show, right? Is like, Anything that seems to be kind of just like, like you guys take it for granted that like, oh, like, yeah, this is like this album, like no shit. Like I've been listening to it for many years. For me, it's it's brand new, you know, it's like new territory for me. So listening to it, I was just in awe of the sound because it just seemed 
and I apologize for if this is like a cliche thing to say, but it sounded to me like it it still sounded fresh. It sounded like it could have been written yesterday, like today. <laughs> like it, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, I agree. It's just, and I don't know how much of that is Steve Albini. Uh, his influence and how much of it is, you know, the, did he the, produce that record? I didn't know he that. He did. He did. Yep. Actually, I have it right here on my desk. Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. I had no idea that he. I had no idea that he produced that. I, they yeah. originally were supposed to have Ken Goes, I think. Yep, produced and, and then they, Steve Albini. How about yeah. that? So cool. <laughs> yes, Jesus, Ken, all these years, I had no idea. Yeah, Ken okay, Goes okay, was so we're all learning. <laughs> we're all learning something. <laughs> I'm learning yeah, about the yeah. music. Uh, well, I mean, just but, but really, you know, just another feather in, in Steve Albini's cap. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not I mean, good cool. on you, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, great. really, I think what, one of my all-time favorite, and, and it's weird because like I just love. That the one track, I mean, it's probably one of their most famous tracks ever. Where is my mind? Oh yeah, I oh, yeah. fucking love that. Like there are so many weird things There's- going <laughs> on in that song that come together in such a way that just it, it's so God. It's just it creates such a vibe and a mood, and it's so good. And again, I don't know how much of that is Steve Albini's influence, where he was just kind of like maybe he was just like do this, do some crazy fucking shit, and. Forget about what anyone else thinks. Because that's what it just seems like that whole record to me, like listening back to it and trying to put myself in the in the mindset of like it's nineteen eighty eight when this comes out. I can't imagine people coming out with that at that time and not saying, like, what the fuck is it? Like, what is this? It's yeah. so weird. Yeah. I think that is one of the most punk rock things you can do is to just do something that's just like, fuck you. I'm gonna go against the grain. I'm gonna go against whatever the norm is. And come out with this thing, and it honestly, it just the whole record. It it just sounds like this like sonic mishmash of things that yeah. work together so well. And again, it could have been something that was recorded today, and I would not have. I wouldn't be like, oh, that was that's dated. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want to jump in here and say that I heard an interview with Steve Albini talking about recording bands in general, mm-hmm. sure. and. I think this is just my own personal opinion, but I think of Steve Albini certainly during this period, you know, working with a band like the Pixies as uh, almost like a musical documentarian. Right. Which was when I listen to this record, it's a very live record. You know, I remember yep. like listening to my wife one night and I'm like, this record is so good. Like you can hear the amps buzzing in the background. I go, it sounds like four people that are all in the same room at the same time yeah. recording a record. Yeah. It doesn't sound That's like exactly what track, I did. Joe Santiago didn't show up one day and just punch in a bunch of guitar lines and leave. <laughs> right. Right. You know, there's like a real chemistry and dialogue going on. Even the inter- little interstitials where there's like them talking to each other yes, yes, in the studio. Yes. Um, probably the very first time I ever heard that on a record. You know, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is this? These guys are just like chit chatting in the background. Why would <laughs> yeah. you put that on your record? Right. You know, but I liked that that was sort of they, you know, just for the sake of kind of documenting it. Like, but it, but it kind of fit the whole aesthetic. And now everybody that. does it, that. So many people have done that. Totally. Right. This is, um, oh God, I don't know this song, but I've been listening to this record for, I don't know, 30 years, but I've never. <laughs> Looked at the song titles. <laughs> gotcha. But the, if it's the, but one, the, the you know, oh my the golly, is one has at the end where they do like they're like fuck you, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of a, a song that I like, which is the um uh the sit, sitting here crying on a cement floor. You know, oh, um, like take off your dress and send ca- it to me. Cactus. Uh, yes. Cactus. Like love that song. 
Yeah. Love that song. Gigantic. Love oh, that Gigantic song. Gigantic is a great yeah, this record was, song. Was, That's one of the songs that I was familiar with prior to listening, right, right, listening right, to right. the record. My first Pixies record was Doolittle. That oh, was nice. like my entry, my entry, my, yeah, my entry point They're was fair. Doolittle. Um, this was their, this was and, their uh, debut I, album, correct? I think so. I think that that Caribou yes. may have come out first, but right. I don't think it kind of gained the same sort of traction. I feel like a lot of people sort of think of like Surfer Rosa as like, it, it's their first official. Like, officially, say, it's slated as their like official debut album. Interesting. Right. But they did have other things like recorded before that. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, when I was in high school, I, I bought Doolittle and loved it. And this was like on the cusp of alternative music, you know, like where, yeah. where like it was just kind of starting to be, you know, part of the zeitgeist, but still we didn't really have the language to talk about it. So I'm like listening to this record and I'm like, what a weird, what is this crazy, this, there's this cherubic guy, he can sing like an angel one minute <laughs> and then scream at the top yes. of his lungs, but in pitch. You know what I mean? Like on the next. Yeah. And then there's this bass player who is just laying down these 16th notes in the most like perfect, like, oh, thank you for laying down this really great foundation of music. And then one of my heroes, you know, I say one of my influences was this Joey Santiago, just lacing melody all over the place, just right. finding a way to like place that stuff. But yeah, God, love the band. I mean, <laughs> I'm a fan. Le, le, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, listening to Le Savi Fav, you know, getting back to your your band, uh, I hear the Pixies influence a thousand percent. Yeah. I really do. I, it's there, man. And maybe that's that's why I dig it. So <laughs> it's, oh, very, cool. it's nice. very cool, man. It's funny. I, I, I hear the same thing. It definitely sounds like they're all uh, playing it live. And I'll, I'll have it for a fact, but Steve Albini definitely had influence on that album and definitely told them to add some of that weird stuff like the talking oh did he and just like yeah like he, he was just like yeah just do this and the funny thing is and i'll bring a, i'll bring up a quote in the fact but basically he thought they were just fucking around and he <laughs> actually like now he doesn't but he actually thought that they were like kind of garbage so he thought they were like a goofy band and he was he, like, why don't you guys just be goofy and assholes and yeah. nobody's going to fucking care anyway? He didn't, think, he, didn't, he, didn't think they were, he didn't think they were good. He was just like, look at these fucking assholes. No fucking oh way. He's like, why don't, you just, fuck like, why don't you just talk over, why don't you just talk over your music? Like, that'll be fun. Like, basically sarcastic and they're like, okay. okay. Hey, man, any, anything, anything's better than what you guys oh, are doing Jesus. right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy Oh, there's a good quote. Man. I'll get to it. You go ahead. Oh, that's that so, so good. good. <laughs> that's so good. But I mean, I was going to say, I mean, there, I mean, it's so funny that he, he wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't uh, really care much for them. And it, it seems like it's probably one of those albums that really, you know, like you, like you said, it's just kind of like another like another notch on the belt, you know what I mean? Like just like yeah, another yeah. crown, on, uh, a jewel on the crown. But like so many bands have been influenced by this band, uh, one in particular, Nirvana. I mean, Kurt Cobain yes. would talk yes. about the Pixies like all of the time. And when I was listening to this record, I was trying to, I was, you know, I, I thought to myself, let me try to like listen to it and, you know, like see if I can pick certain things out. When I listen to the song Broken Face, which is the track right before Gigantic, there mm -hmm. is a vocal melody and I'm going, that sounds so familiar. Why does that sound so familiar? Because Kurt Cobain used the same exact melody in one of his songs. I know songs. exactly what you're talking about. I, don't, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but when I heard it, I knew. I was like, holy shit. I mean, this is, it was like a blatant- Interesting. It was almost like a blatant like ripoff. Like, holy shit. 
Do you know is what it, it is? When he go, it's uh, so he says, uh, "I got a broken face." Uh huh. He and he goes, da, 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 da. and then he kicks into that part where he's like, da, 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 da. I'm, "I'm sorry, man. I'm <laughs> it's okay. My pitch is no, all okay, okay, dude. No, it's all good. It, I'm ready. In my mind, I, I, it's actually, it's not even. It's like the vocals and the music together. There's this one yeah. little pocket where it comes together and it, and it kind of is a little bit of like, you know, one baby to another. That's what maybe makes me think. Of, oh my was, God. Uh, when that, I heard it, it was just Nirvana song, but I know what you mean though. Yeah. It's cool. You know, it's so funny that you say that is like, it's easier for me to listen to bands now and hear Nirvana, you know, uh-huh. listen oh, to yeah. a newer uh-huh. band yes. and, being, and I'm like, and like, like, Oh my God, dude, these guys are obviously Nirvana fans, yeah. but it never really, it, I've never listened to, you know, any of the early Nirvana records and, and listen for the Pixies, but I, I I'm going to do that now. Yeah, if you, I'm just turning my kids onto Nirvana right now. Oh, so. cool, I, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I think uh, Bleach maybe a little bit more, more so. That, that record, yeah. I feel, has is much more raw. It's very just like it's it's punk. There's there's a lot of punk influence Ooh. there for sure. Oh, yeah, grunge. Yeah, definitely. Very. Yeah, it was like they. <laughs> yeah, it was like they were finding their sound in, in Bleach at yeah. that point. Like they were yeah. trying to figure out like what they were, what they actually were. Yeah, and then. What was after that? Nevermind. Yeah, Nevermind came after. Believe. Nevermind. You know, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna just jump in real, real quick and 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 I I know this is a s- totally different segment, but no, my sixth okay. record would be maybe would be Nevermind. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, Nevermind. You know, for me, it's and I said this uh, uh, in another episode, but uh, Nirvana was one of those bands I at one point just didn't care for because I had l- listened to them for so long. I grew up listening to them, yeah. and it was just like ah, I'm kind of sick of it. But then you know. Things happened, and you know, I guess they became part of. To use your term uh, again, they became part of the zeitgeist again somehow through documentaries and this, that, and the other thing, and and it it was just kind of like in your face. And uh, I started looking at the band and Kurt Cobain in a totally different light, and now I just have this whole other appreciation and respect for the band. So, um, you know, it's funny. Like that record came out. I don't know why we're talking. Like, hey, man. Anyway, listen, Pixie Surfer is a great record. Anyway, back on that <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Um, <laughs> like, you know, w- when that record first comes out, yeah. you know, we know very little about who the, the people are making it. Right. You know what I mean? True. And then thinking about, you know, all the really just, I mean, there's some terrible events that transpired over sure, their career, sure, yeah. obviously. And then I guess we are coming up on, I mean, what was that, 91? So 20, 30 years later? Is that right? 30 yeah, years 30 later? 30 years Holy later, shit, man. 30 years later. So it's 30 crazy. years later, we're, you know, I feel like a lot of these things get brought up because somebody says, it's the 30th year anniversary of Nevermind. And and then you begin to sort of reevaluate it again. Right. You know, not from the not from a perspective of I have no information about who this band is and I have to take it at face value. But now with right. this plethora of information being like, I know about the whole entire history of this band. And now when I listen to their music, there's so much more depth in, in it, you know, because of I know about I know a lot more about the man who made it. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. There's there's all this context that comes into play. Yeah. But for me, like, you know, I always just I've always loved it. I, I kind of know what you mean, though, Antonio. Like, there was a point when I was like, you know, God, if they kept on putting out records, I would probably stop listening for sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but like, when I'm taking my kids to school and I'm like, let's listen, let's put on Nevermind, and I'm gonna see how they react, and they're just like, this is awesome, <laughs> you know, and like they're like really like how super into it. I'm like, yeah, good. They uh, they're like six and a half. Like they're almost they'll be seven oh, wow. in June. So, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, it's like a really it's a really cool age where. Um, you know, getting back to what I was saying, like, you know, first grade, like listening to the Devo for the very first time. Right. You know, I think this is a time for them to be exposed. Like, 
finally finally listen to music and 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 be able to have an opinion about it form an opinion about yeah. it know that there are things that they like and don't like about music and naturally i was thrilled to find out that they thought that that body of music was something like really cool and they could grasp onto it you know uh, it's very Absolutely. exciting and probably one of the only reasons i want kids <laughs> <laughs> so that I can be like, check this out. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say, uh, I know like when I, I used to live in New Jersey for a few years when I moved out there to be in with uh, the band. And now I moved back here to Pennsylvania. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. When I was living in uh, Morristown in New Jersey. Great town, co- by the way. Oh, yes. Very cool. Awesome I, love, yeah, I love it there. My cousins who I was living with at the time, um, some of my younger cousins would tell me like all the bands they like. And basically it was like, and they're younger and it was like, you know, five seconds of summer and stuff like that. And, uh, and they'd be like, you know, what, what kind of music do you listen to? And I would tell them like, you know, I would basically let's I, theoretically, let's say I listen, I say I'd listen to Nirvana or Pixies and they would like put on one song and be like, this stuff sucks. And I would be like, that's definitely what you don't want to hear oh. about. Like yeah, but now I thought about that. You know what when it you guys is? Said that. They were probably already <laughs> were like at an age where their palettes were, you know, they're yeah, they're like 15, 16. Yeah. So they're already like five seconds of summer is my band. And right. That's all I ever listened to. Right, right. Literally right. like two years later, like I hate that. Band. Not to say not to not to speak <laughs> ill of pop or anything like that, but the, if that's no, all, no, if that all. is all that you're ever exposed to, I think trying to, you know, Trying to get into or or listen to you know things that are outside of that kind of box, it, it's kind of jarring. And it and of course you have Definitely. no you you your ear isn't attuned to that, and you're just gonna say some right. ignorant shit like oh this sucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is why it's great that you have such young kids and you're teaching them now. That's fantastic. I love exactly. That. That's the point because I know that if they said that it sucked, I'd pull the car over, <laughs> say get out. Walk to school. Now you walk. I don't care if you're six. (laughs) Walk. Yeah, I don't care. I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. (laughs) I'll meet you there. (laughs) Seth, did you, um, so getting back to uh, Pixie's record here. Yes. um, Did you you say what what your favorite track was? Was it Cactus? Yeah, I think Cactus is probably, like, I mean, Chris helped me out there with the song title, but that that for, I couldn't even tell you why, because really, like, uh, where is my mind oh, is God. that's like the hit in my brain. Is, sure. Yeah. Sure. But somehow cactus was the song that every time it came on, I was just like, what a, what a cool song. Oh, I really man. loved it. I think I liked the lyrics in that one a lot though. You know, it's yeah, very cool. It Cause it's it was really a, good. like, take off your dress and send it to me. I don't know. It just sounded desperate. It just sounded fucking weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Well, there, yeah. there in turn, that just basically encompasses what pixies, what the pixies are yeah it's so it's so good and i to me i'm like on that album to me there's only i was trying to think of how to say this before i was listening to it earlier and i was like where's my mind and gigantic are like the two songs on on the album that are like the least weird right like they're the most like accessible accessible yes and that's why they would be like the radio friendly singles and like the rest of the record is is in spanish right yeah exactly i like i like it's they're in like a totally different language i love how you put that that's fantastic yeah (laughs) it's true so chris do you have any uh any fun facts for us about the record I do. In fact, uh, a couple of them we kind of touched on already, but I'll just expand yeah. a little further. I can't wait to um, hear that so, Steve Albini quote. Dude, 
It's so good. Um, it's so good. That's the last one. So I'll say that for last. So at the beginning, so you guys probably know this already, but at the beginning of Oh My Golly, there's obviously the studio banter and you can faintly hear Kim Deal saying that if anybody touches my stuff at the end of the song, the singer um, Black Francis basically says like, I'll fucking kill you. You'll fucking die. And basically yeah. he's, you know, it's just like, I was trying to finish her sentence. Like I was just like, you know, they were like, they're like, you know, why are you telling her she's going to die? He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to finish her sentence. Like, oh, you know. he oh, says, okay. he says, no, she said, if anybody touches my shit and I, and I said, you'll fucking die. That's so That's funny right. because right. basically he picked up on the, she started an idea. He was like, whatever, let's record this song real quick. And then, and then he finished her finished sentence. The thought finished the, after yeah, the song is over. The song is over. Right. <laughs> that's brilliant. It's so good. Oh, that's yeah. so good. And that was actually part of a, that was a Steve Albini thing. And like we said, like that, he was like, yeah, do that. Like, um, that's, that's great. Like, and he just thought he didn't. Yeah, he that's was great. Like, let's kids. do that in all the songs. All right, like, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Gigantic, uh, which was co-written by Kim Deal, who was uh, credited as Mrs. John Murphy on the, on that song. <laughs> okay. That, that was only, that was only, yeah, that was only one. That was one of only two tracks, I believe, in their entire discography that she sang lead vocals on. So I thought that was interesting. Really? That's, yeah. Oh my God, boy. I, I thought guess, that was what's interesting. The, what's the second one? Actually, I'm not sure. I'm not oh sure. man, I want to know now. Yeah, you can. Yeah, no, it's um, I I couldn't find the second track. I was actually looking for it. I'm sure if you, I think it it like I found this particular one on Wikipedia, and it said like written co-written by and lead vocals. So oh, I'm you're sure getting facts from Wikipedia. So so yes, yes, so basically, did. we need to fact check every single fact. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't mind fact show. checking. There, there's gonna be yeah. There's gonna be there's gonna be an after a show and it's called just like after the facts fuck and then it's just it's just fact checking everything i'm I not said. doing it <laughs> not it chris what did what did breitbart have to say about it yeah exactly um <laughs> oh, breitbart had to say that breitbart had to say that gigantic was actually about um a lover's big johnson oh is that exactly okay yeah wow no, to put it nicely she, and does she say because was she was a she, big big yeah, Mug. she's talking. Yeah, she, and and so she's talking about a past lover who is black and has a big Johnson, which is funny because <laughs> on on the on you know in the breeders she has the uh, divine hammer. Yes, you know which I believe which I'm, is I'm just looking for one divine hammer, which is another song about I'm just about looking a, for that one great dick. A, a right. Big yep, penis. yep. All right. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Yeah. The exactly. Divine hammer. That's yep. Wow, that's, go Kim Deal, man. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, they didn't hold back. Get it, girl. They just knew I, know. How to, uh, I love that, though. Get they it, just girl. knew how to do great metaphors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true because, I mean, Gigantic is arguably, it's such an accessible song. So many people love it. Yeah. Nobody knows Nobody that they're knows. going around singing about a giant, a giant penis. That's probably the best cool. part about yes. it. Yeah, that's that's a great part about it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so... You mentioned this before, uh, but Cactus is supposed to be like, so it's it's Frank Black sing, saying or singing at the beginning, but it's supposed to be a prison inmate requesting that his girlfriend smear her dress with blood and mail it to him. Okay. Yeah. 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 So sure. that's, so you knew that. And then, yes. So let's get right to the last one here. This is the last yeah, one. Yeah, do it. So Steve Albini described the Pixies music as a patchwork pinch loaf from a band who at their top dollar best 
are blandly entertaining college rock. Their willingness to be guided by their manager, their record label, and their producers is unparalleled. Never Mm. have I seen four cows more anxious to be led around by their nose rings. And then he he later apologized saying that he regrets saying that um, and that he really didn't think he regarded the band as highly as he should have. Now he sees them as like geniuses. He oh thought they were just like God. total dicks. <laughs> like at the time. Uh, you know what, man? I would have liked it a lot better if he was like, I still stand by that. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, <laughs> like, I would have liked it a lot better if, if he said, I feel bad about saying that ever since I bought this farm and now I own cows. Uh, I should have never, com- <laughs> should have never compared uh, the pixies yeah. to my cows. Yeah, exactly. I, I apologize like, I, to the cows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, oh, man. Um, so I, that's good. scathing. So good. Scathing. Oh, Very scathing. God. Yeah. Um, I was laughing the whole time I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I think that was probably one of my favorite on the platter segments ever. Um, <laughs> Seth, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. We've had a blast with thank you. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Awesome. I'm, we're glad that you, you had a good time, man. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If there's anything that you want to leave our listeners with any famous last words now's the time there's no way i'm gonna top that steve albini quote so you know i'm out (laughs) that's it we'll leave it with that you know fucking cows (laughs) awesome awesome well everyone thank you so much for listening follow us on instagram at taste of vinyl and on twitter at taste vinyl and remember you can never own too much vinyl Later, guys. Later. Later. Later.